Hello, welcome to OMH TV. Um, tonight, just before we get started, I just want to give you a heads up that we're going to be talking about uh, suicide, self-injury, um, and if that's not for you, it's really not a problem. We'll see you next week where we're talking about CAM services. But if you do want to stay with us, don't feel um, obligated to stick it out if it's too hard for you or you want a break. Um, we'll also be posting up some things that be helpful resources afterwards. But the aim of this discussion is to really understand the nature of the issue and think about some of the things that we can do to help um, our community. So that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Um, before we get started, let's go to Dave, because obviously we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to say if you have any questions. Um, and Dave will tell you how you can join in. Well, thanks, Nikki. Hi, everyone. Yeah, just same as always. If you want to get involved in the conversation tonight, there's a couple of ways to do it. The first is on our Facebook live feed. All you need to do is pop over to the right side of the screen uh, and type in any questions or comments or thoughts that you've got about the topic we're discussing tonight. Uh, the other option is that you can head over to X and you can post some Xs using the hashtag MHTV. Uh, and obviously we'd be really glad to see those as well. But as Nikki said, I'll be doing my best to keep on top of the conversation on social media uh, and sharing some of the resources that our guests uh, are, are wanting to get out there tonight. Without further ado, straight back to you, Nikki. And you can call X Twitter if you want. We're not bothered. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. So let's come to our um, fantastic guests. So we've got Karen and Samantha who've written this um, piece of research up, which we're going to be talking. But I think it's always best for people to introduce themselves. So, Karen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hi. Thank you. And thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, so my name's Karen Lascelles. I work as a mental health nurse consultant in Oxford. Um, I've been nursing for uh, a long time and I've worked in the field of suicide and self-harm for the last sort of 15 years or so. Um, and, you know, as a nurse consultant, that involves sort of research, practice, strategy, teaching and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm very fortunate to have good links with um, Professor Keith Horton at the Oxford Centre for Suicide Research. Um, and um, he, myself and Sam formed a research team um, that undertook this work that Sam did, uh, you know, as a researcher did did all the work on really. <laughs> so Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thanks uh, Nikki for having us again. Um, so hi, my name is Sam Groves. Um, I'm a research assistant at Oxford Health um, and similar to Karen, so I work with Keith um, at the Centre for Suicide Research at the University of Oxford as well. Um, so I joined Oxford Health around two years ago um, and I've been working uh, on this project related to suicide uh, on among nurses uh, since then. Yeah, so perhaps that's the best place to start for us to understand a little bit about what was the study about, what led you to, to undertake it? Uh, yeah, so um, recent statistics um, from the Office of National Statistics have shown um, that female nurses um, are at increased uh, risk of suicide compared to females in the general population. Um, and this has been a trend um, across many years. Um, so despite kind of, increasing interest and kind of concern on this topic including during covid mm. uh, where there was lots of news coverage um about suicide among nurses was kind of increasing concerns um but there hasn't been a real um kind of summarization of the literature um since 1999 um so which is by keith horton um who conducted a systematic review again kind of highlighting lots of gaps in the research uh, surrounding suicide in nurses. So there was a real need um, to update um, the literature and see what mm. was out there. Uh, so we were commissioned by NHS England um, to conduct a series of projects uh, related to suicide among nurses. So this included the systematic review 
um, and also studies looking um, at media reporting of suicide um, related to nurses and also the characteristics um, of self-harm among nurses as well. Mm. So what did you find that was different? What's the sort of nature of this issue? Mm -hmm. So we found kind of similar again to um, Keith's research that there's long-standing evidence that uh, nurses are at increased risk of suicide mm. and um, specifically strong evidence for female nurses. So this includes evidence from the UK, uh, from the US, um, I think Denmark, Australia, New Zealand, they're all kind of showing this trend. Um, mm. And this trend, again, has been for, for many, many years. Um, and it's continuing um, to be so nurses at increased risk. Um, and we found many factors um, that may contribute uh, to suicide among nurses. So this might include psychiatric issues uh, and mental health conditions, uh, physical health conditions, occupational uh, issues, uh, relationship issues, and all of these factors are likely to interact um, with each of us mm. to contribute to this kind of increased risk. Mm. Well, it's interesting what you're saying, because obviously when people think about suicide, they see it frequently as, as a male issue. And so I can understand how this might be a, a population that's quite distinct that we're perhaps overlooking. And I guess as well, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, there, there, there can sometimes be a bit of them and us thinking with, with staff in that you, you always assume the problems are on the other side of the glass and you don't necessarily think that actually it's something that happens to nurses. Karen, is there anything you wanted to say? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. And um, I think in certain certain um, areas of healthcare, there's sort of a bit of a stigma by association that, you know, we, we know that there's a big stigma out there um, linked to mental health problems and to suicide, mm -hmm. whether, whether or not suicidality is in the context of mental health or otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, so I think often, you know, people may not realise, but there is that that stigma by association going on that people worry about what they're experiencing and thinking and feeling, um, you know, and, and and perhaps don't don't help help seek for that. Although interestingly, one of the things that we did notice in um, this research was that nurses were seeking help, um, and you know, were seeking help from um, primary care and um, psychological support. Um, and I suppose that was something that led us to think, you know, that's a, an avenue for uh, consideration with regard to interventions in terms of monitoring and, and asking the right questions and inviting nurses to mm. um, share how, how they're feeling and just being mm. curious um, and perhaps mm. diving beneath the initial reason for presentation. Yeah, I mean, if we don't have these conversations, I can't imagine where we're going to end up. So tell us a little bit about how you found the information. What, what was the methodology? Um, so I'll take that one. So, um, so we conducted um, a systematic review. Mm. Um, so it's basically a method, um, a set method of summarising the research yeah. uh, evidence on a given topic. So for us, it was summarising global evidence um, on suicide and also non-fatal suicidal behaviours and thoughts um, among nurses and midwives. So there's usually um, quite a typical stages uh, to a systematic review. So um, you conduct quite a detailed search of academic databases and sometimes grey literature, so studies which might not be published in journals but elsewhere. Um, you then screen uh, your studies for against your eligibility criteria, so for us, if it focused, just wanted to be quite broad, if it focused on um, suicide among nurses and midwives um, and it was published, it was largely eligible, eligible for, uh, for inclusion. 
Um, and then we also um, extracted then uh, the data from studies which was related to our research questions um, and then assessed the quality um, of these studies um, as well mm. um, using an adaptive tool um, which was previously used by um, Keith Horton um, and colleagues which looked at uh, suicide um, among anaesthetists so we adapted that tool to help uh, with our review um, and then you use kind of all the data you've extracted to then synthesize together uh, for the paper to answer uh, your research questions. I see so it's kind of a structured way of bringing together lots of different information that maybe has been asked in different times and in places in slightly different ways and bringing it together to answer the question that's pertinent now which is linking about um, suicide and suicidal behaviour amongst nurses. So mm -hmm. did you did you find any difference between different countries? Um, so we found this, it's quite interesting. So there's quite a lot of difficulties kind of um, comparing across countries because there's also different definitions of what a nurse is in different countries. Mm -hmm. And also in some studies, uh, nurses were groups with midwives or nurses were groups with healthcare assistants. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult um, to um, kind of compare across countries. But I think um, we mentioned our discussion it, it kind of leaves an interesting question of the definition of a nurse and whether that would be helpful um, for future research to allow um, comparison across countries, but also across um, roles as well. For example, we don't know at the moment if the specific uh, specialities of nurses that are at increased risk particularly. So, for example, mental health nurses or general nurses. Yeah. Um, so that's a real, a really big quite avenue for mm. uh, future research. Mm. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we don't necessarily have the classification of mental health nurse in other countries, so you couldn't mm -hmm. really compare it. Yeah, I see what you mean. Hmm, complicated stuff. Well, I was just going to add. I suppose most of the countries, if I'm right, Sam, were sort of Western, Westernized countries mm -hmm. as well, weren't they? There were a couple of studies um, from Asia, but I think you know mainly they're from Australia and um, America, UK, and sort of mm -hmm. Denmark, Norway. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that the, the, there's a real need to think about nursing and nurses in uh, countries further afield. Um, but of course, then you've got not only uh, language and interpretations of nursing, but language and interpretations of suicide, um, because different countries will have different ways of articulating that. Some countries don't have suicide in their language, in their lingo, um, you know, and so rates and numbers will be even more difficult to... Mm to ascertain but it, it is there is a need there I think. Do you think stigma might make a difference to whether people report or classify something as a suicide? Yeah I think I think stigma is a, a big thing and I think that's why in, in certain countries perhaps they haven't developed a language around it because it's you know culturally they have different ways of um, making sense of mental illness and, and suicide mm. um, and, and it's very different to, to a sort of a Western understanding. So yeah. we need to develop ways of researching mm. in um, culturally mm. sensitive ways to, to mm. really understand, um, you know, what the risks are and how to how to support people. Mm. What do you within think? Within and outside nursing. Absolutely. What do you think the most um, important findings from, from your study were? You don't have to agree. <laughs> Do you want to go first, Sam? Uh, sure, sure. Um, I think um, one thing we found from the review is that at the moment there's a real mm. lack of interventions um, mm. that are tailored to prevent suicide in nurses. So we found one 
um, well, we found three studies that was based on one intervention um, in the US that's um, it's called the HEAR program. So it's called the Healer Education Assessment and Referral Program. So, um, where, so within the workplace, um, there's education to nurses around suicide, um, around their mental health, kind of trying to break the stigma, mm. but also then anonymous um, risk screening as well. So the workplace sends um, out mm. a risk screening questionnaire for suicide and those individuals um, that are above a certain threshold are then referred on for further care. Mm. Um, and they found that although there were individuals going through this system, um, and it was anonymous, there was still quite low response rates, low amount of, amount of nurses um, completing mm. this. So mm. there still could be something around um, nurses fearing, highlighting that they're struggling um, to their workplace, even though it is anonymous, and there still might be quite a lot of fear around it. So I think there's a real um, kind of mm. potential highlighted by the review for thinking of other ways um, to support nurses mm. um, who might be at risk. That's a really good point. I think the idea, I think, of the sort of self-conceptualization of being a nurse. I mean, I think about how much of my sort of self-esteem as a nurse and as a person is probably based in being able to cope, being able to manage, being the person who doesn't panic, being and and it's not real, you know, because it's it's a it's a role, isn't it? And we all panic sometimes, we're all overwhelmed at sometimes, we all get really sad sometimes. And if you don't, then you're kind of not living your full life I think but sometimes when you have that identity so firmly in, in your head this doesn't allow you to admit that maybe you're struggling so it's not probably just not just that there's um nowhere to tell people but there's actually no way to think it first if you know what I mean mm. how clear I'm being now <laughs> what do you and perhaps that's perpetuated a little bit mm. um by the sort of angel uh, metaphor um, you know, that if we're these angels and, you know, then maybe that even that adds to this sort of inability to be able to accept that we've got foibles like the rest of uh, the world. So, yeah. And complicated it, lives. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think on that on that point, actually, um, I suppose the main thing for me of, of the study was that the, the the risk factors, if you like, associated with um, nurse suicide are not necessarily particularly different from the risk factors for anybody. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important that we um, highlight that mm. um, because one of the things that we still don't know is wh why is it then that nurses are ending their lives by suicide? Mm. Um, is it that um, nurses, even prior to joining the profession, um, have predisposing factors um, that, that that sort of make them vulnerable to um, developing suicidal thoughts and behaviours if um, some kind of adversity occurs. So was it pre-existing or was it actually the profession? Um, mm. and, and even if it was a pre-existing vulnerability, perhaps there are aspects of the profession that brought that to the fore, mm. or maybe it isn't. Maybe it's still in, in somebody's social context, actually. Mm. Um, and, and that's really difficult. And, and, and this is why qualitative studies are so mm. important. And, and that's the next step. And Sam's going on to do a DPhil, uh, really specialising in this that's area that she can talk yeah. about in, in a bit that will that mm. will add to this. Mm. Um, but I do think for me then, that, that's kind of one of the main things. Um, and when, when we think about interventions, we need to um, 
make sure that we're not singling nurses out as being something wrong with them. It, it's a fine balance, isn't it? It's like nurses need to be allowed to be open about the fact that just like anybody else, they're vulnerable. Um, and, you know, the occupational aspects of nursing, like long hours, overworked, uh, that all of that goodwill work that we all do at the end of the shift so we get back even later and then we're with our family and we're tired and then by the time we sort of the family out you're just exhausted so your sleep might be impaired because you're worrying about what's gone on at work and the emotional responses come out yeah. then um, and, and you know if that continues then that's going to make make you vulnerable and we need to sort of recognize those uh, patterns and, and they will occur in nursing and how can we support nurses to seek support mm. um, and get the right support with, that's tailored to their individual needs. Mm. I think you make a really interesting point there, aren't there? There is something about sort of nursing being seen as special and different and I think you know the angel stuff and then also you had a lot of kind of like martial kind of ways of describing nurses in the in COVID times like they were superhuman like they would go mm. on to do more and above and beyond and it's just not possible. And then now you're getting these kind of narratives like even nurses use food banks. It's like, well, people use food banks and mm. nurses are people. So mm. they're not exempt from real life and mm. real life stresses and strains and sadnesses. And to act like they're different to that or it's particularly unusual when real life happens to them is really, you know, they're not unicorns, they're people. <laughs> it's, really, mm. it's a really weird way of thinking about, about things. But I can also see what you're saying as well about it about maybe there needing to be some kind of thought to the way that message is given so that nurses can actually feel that it's for them and to take that on board. Mm. Yeah, you've made some really interesting points. So, you know, can we talk just a little bit more about the risk factors and what we can do to help, what we need to be aware of? Sure. Hmm. I'll pass to you, Sam. Oh, sorry, I was on, <laughs> I was on mute. Um, yeah, so, um, from the risk factors so firstly with um thinking about mental health conditions so one of the findings again was that nurses um who died by suicide had higher rates of mental health conditions um from the evidence in the us than individuals who died by suicide um we're we talking about just depression anxiety are we talking about talking um so they're all grouped together so we don't mm. um so we don't know but that would be really um interesting um, and again, about having high amounts of service use as well. So I think it's a real think about what we can do next, that those interventions where nurses do go and seek help. It seems like at the moment, the support might not be working for nurses. So we need to think about then how can that be improved? Um, and that's a real opportunity that nurses are already seeking that help. So what can we do then um, to help those nurses as well? Um, there was also, so there was a really interesting study, so a mixed method study um, from the same team um, who created the HEAR programme um, that looked at risk factors for among nurses who died by suicide. And they found that job loss was a real, um, so it was nurses who died by suicide where an occupational issue was cited kind of in the medical notes um, or law enforcement notes. Um, after their suicide but among among that sample I think it was 92% were had either lost their job or potentially going to be losing their job mm -hmm. um, and that potential job loss um, could have been due to a range of things so it could have been uh, medical retirement if they had kind of a physical or mental health condition um, but it also could be that they were possibly under investigation for example mm -hmm. if they were using substances um, or there was an issue at work and mm -hmm. um, so it seems to be there's 
a real key time and vulnerability among some nurses yeah. um, and if they are in a position of potential or they have lost their jobs. Um, and there's some really interesting work done with doctors, I think a few years ago, looking at fitness to practice procedures and how oh, they could be improved. Yeah. Um, and I think that could be really key and really quite important to look at for nurses as well as what our nurses' experiences of going through that um, in the UK mm. um, and what can we do to support nurses more as well. It's such an isolating experience, isn't it, being under investigation because you're told you can't talk to people. And at the time when you're feeling desperate, it's huge amounts of change, potentially job loss, which is identity and financial. It's really highly, it's not, it's weird isn't it? when people put this stuff out, everyone's like, oh yeah. But if the research isn't done to make it really clear, it just, it just drives by and people don't realise it. Thank you for that. Is there mm -hmm. anything, Karen, that you wanted to, to add to that? Uh, I, I absolutely echo about the investigations. And I think that probably is, mm -hmm. uh, it filters down to, what are not fitness and practice investigations, but investigations within organisations after serious incidents, that if if they're not done in a in a sensitive way, um, uh, then people can feel that you know they're they're being really scrutinised in a way that they're going to be held to account and blamed, and yeah. and and if um, if it's a situation where it often is in these, you know, if there's a investigation where it might be a death by suicide or it might be an unexpected death. Um, then invariably yeah. uh, that individual is experiencing an awful lot of um, emotional responses anyway, and then that's that perpetuated. So I think as trusts as well as the regulatory bodies have some thinking to do about how how well they support. And there's lots of work going on on it, you know, in the just and restorative culture. And um, often, you know, I feel quite confident, say, in, in a number of organisations that I'm linked with, that, that there's no intention to convey a sense of blame but that doesn't mean that staff don't feel it yeah. um, and there's often a dissonance isn't there between what we what we think we're doing and how it's actually experienced by staff mm. so I really think we need to think about that um, yeah. and then the other thing that came up a lot was was alcohol was substances um, and and I suppose there's a lot of stigma there as well in that um, people won't necessarily uh, reach out for support with um, substance uh, problem substance use because they would worry maybe about disciplinary action or maybe about mm. being frowned upon um, so we need to think about how we can um, reach out to, to people there at that early stage right in training um, to think about ways to maintain your well-being to look after yourself mm. uh, you know the ease with which sometimes alcohol seems to be a prop and it's easy and it's accessible and when you've not mm -hmm. got much time it's quite easy to knock a drink back but actually the consequence of, of that can be really damaging for people so we need to really you know be talking to people students about that and mm -hmm. equipping people early on in their career with strategies to mm -hmm. to try and deal with life stress and professional stress. You're mentioning some really contradictory things as well, aren't you? Because exactly as you were saying about investigations, by their nature, they're complex. Yeah. They take ages. Yeah. And so when it's your job to do it, you know, a month or two months feels like you're really gunning it. You're doing a really swift, mm. thorough job. But for somebody who's waking up every night having not slept properly and then trying to go into work and feeling mm. uncomfortable or the people are looking at them differently, that feels like an eternity. And when people aren't sleeping properly, they stop seeing things so clearly, it gets really complicated. And the other thing, exactly as you were saying about alcohol, is sometimes 
don't really get myself in too much trouble here, but <laughs> I think about my um, student days and I think about my early days in the NHS before I sort of found my feet, everything was pub-based, everything. Mm-hmm. All the kind of debriefs after a debrief, after a coroner's court, after um, a particularly difficult shift, pub, pub. Mm-hmm. And then we all the leaving dues and then mm-hmm. we wonder why people have that experience of using alcohol to manage Mm. and it's so um obvious why this happens Mm. but i think you know having sort of more mixed teams has has led to to, particularly from my experience us making different plans but uh, it's always quite complicated is it because it's like what can we do that's not the pub is it it always feels like it's like a big effort not to do that um, so it is. It is something that's really embedded and almost invisible because it's so prevalent in in cultures. Mm. But I think you're right about this idea about working in ways that are more nurturing, self-nurturing. Yeah. Yeah. But interestingly, as you're saying, you know, we all used to go to the pub or the social club or wherever, and it was alcohol-based. But but beneath that bit was the peer support, and mm. it was about being with your colleagues and talking to yeah. each other because that's who really gets it is your, is your peers. Yeah. So I think we really need to optimise opportunities for, yeah. for healthy and nurturing peer support um, that, that's accessible. Um, and, you know, perhaps that's more than reflective practice at work. It, it, it's more than that. It, it's being able to sort of have some kind of, of, of network or place where you can go to and say, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And maybe it's anonymous peer support, but it's, it's with another nurse who is yeah. able to say, me too. I've been there and this is what yeah. I tried in mm. the same way that we use peer support workers in mental health um, care. Mm. Um, I think there's lots we can do there. I'm getting some questions through. Um, Dave, do you want, should we come to you? Yeah, just on the, the kind of conversation so far, there's just three things that I felt it might be helpful to reflect on. Uh, one of them is the, uh, the support that's available after uh, you know, someone's died by suicide in an NHS organisation. That I know, kind of a couple of years ago, it was recognised to be exceptionally poor in terms of you know staff not knowing how to support each other uh, in what you know would be an exceptionally distressing situation and an environment. Uh, and it's great that the Samaritans and NHS Confederation has done a joint piece of work uh, that they call post pension. Uh, you know, after someone's died by suicide in a in, in a workplace setting. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention was that kind of local support that can be made available. That there's been some great work that Emma Wade has been leading on mm-hmm. on prof- professional nurse advocates. Uh, I went to a conference a couple of weeks ago where some of these issues were discussed there, uh, and I'd recommend if anyone wants to get any more info, uh, either follow Emma or have a look at the Twitter thread that I did at the time, and I'll I'll try and find it and I'll put it on the thread for tonight's conversation. Uh, and then the third thing that I wanted to say, uh, I can't actually remember what it was, but it will come up in my head, I'm sure, in the next few minutes, and I'll I'll WhatsApp it, you, Nikki, and you can pull did me back in at question? that point. I guess I'm confused by. <laughs> No, I've not got any questions in yet. They were the kind of comments. All right. So did you want to say anything about those comments, Karen or Sam? Yeah, um, certainly the the work that Ruth Riley led on in relation to postvention that was very much supported by Emma Wady has recently been published, um, you know, into a into a guidance for organisations that really is excellent. 
And that's for when um, a staff member ends their life by suicide. So, so what, what I'm hoping happens now is that, you know, chief nurses and, um, you know, exec teams pull together teams of people to really think about implementation of that. Um, now, the other thing to think about is when patients end their lives by suicide. Um, and uh, we've developed through different research, a few resources around that, which I, I can share with you, and that might be helpful. Um, and I think that's important because um, dealing with, uh, you know, these painful events, being exposed to these painful expense, uh, events can, um, you know, if someone's already vulnerable, it can increase that vulnerability. So, so support when a patient dies by suicide is um, just as important as support when a colleague dies by suicide. But sometimes the mechanisms of that support might be slightly different. So I'll share those um, those resources. Um, and yeah, I couldn't agree more about with uh, professional nurse advocates and professional nurse educators. Um, I think those are going to be really, really important roles. Um, and I still think that alongside that, some kind of other peer support network will be will be helpful. And I think if we cover the, you know, the whole spectrum and, and people have got lots of different ways to access support, that's what we need to do. Because whatever research you do, you cannot have one size fits all. We need to have individualised, tailored support. And that means to have a menu. Got some questions come through they look like student questions don't want to be critical <laughs> so the first one is um from a student who's been told off <laughs> before saying um for not and not not doesn't know how to describe that the, the instant that they said they said someone had got had committed suicide and they got told off they hadn't said the right thing but they don't know what they should have said um could you help with that yeah and yeah Thank you for raising that, because that's a really important point. I think a lot of us are socialised into um, using the word committed. And the, the reason that perhaps you might have been told off, I hate the word told off, and I'm sorry. That that's what they say. That. Yeah, that's <laughs> the I bet it felt that way too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the reason for it, it, just so that you understand the context, is that, you know, historically, suicide was a crime. It still is in some countries. But in the UK, in 1961, um, that changed, and um, it, it was no longer um no longer considered to be a crime um however the word committed is still has the criminal connotations and, mm -hmm. and this is why um over a number of years there's been lots of campaigns to, to to not use the word and the preferred word really is you know someone died by suicide or someone ended their life mm -hmm. um and and that's that's okay to use in in whatever context it is if you're talking to a family member um or someone who's bereaved by suicide or or whatever then ended their life um, by suicide is is probably the preferred method uh, way of saying it if you know that it's a suicide if you're working with families where they may not have that um, verdict yet from the inquest then they may not want to use that term and so ending their life is is enough because ultimately yeah. that's what's happened yeah and I think we can sometimes forget how it feels for families mm -hmm. because there is the stigma around that anyway. Mm -hmm. Plus you've got the grief and despair and sometimes suicide can be quite a complicated type of death to process because you might have anger, confusion on top of grief and loss and all gets muddled up together. So it can be really quite a confusing experience. And when you're speaking to somebody who's lost someone by suicide, it's something that sticks in their mind forever. So it is important mm -hmm. that you are as compassionate as you possibly can be absolutely I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure you are I'm sure you are yeah. um someone else said what would I even say to a colleague how would I ask if they were okay mm. 
Yeah, and you know, that's again a really good question because um, we've done some work locally and when, when and this was when a staff member had ended their lives by mm. suicide and the their colleagues felt so guilty and they said, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm really good at speaking to my patients and asking these questions, but I didn't even do it. And actually maybe I did think there was something going on, but I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to, you know, mm. be nosy and stuff like that. Yeah. So the, the message consistently is, is if you're worried about somebody, just ask because they can tell you that, you know, to, to go away. Um, <laughs> they, you wow, know, that was a self-edit of heroic proportions. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they may, they may decline to answer, for sure. They may decline to answer. <laughs> yes, but equally, you know, they might say, oh, you've noticed, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm feeling terrible. Yeah. Um, so I would say your anxiety and your fear about what to say to your colleague is your anxiety and your fear and not theirs. So just just try and transcend it, jump over it and just say, are you all right? I feel a bit worried about you because that shows that you care. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if they are fine, so what? Yeah. It's really important that you said something. Mm. Um, I guess we're coming sort of towards the end. We've already done a sort of half an hour or so. So I guess just to recap, we've talked a little bit about the risk factors and we've talked a little bit about some of the things we can do to help. But is there anything else that we could be aware of that would be useful? Do you want to go first, then? Sure. So um, we could just quickly go um, through the other studies um, that we've conducted related to it. So um, so one of the study looked at um, the way that the media um, over, I think it was between 2018 and 2021, reported um, on the suicide um, of nurses. And obviously, that was also during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and we conducted this piece um, of work with Samaritans um, and it was conducted because we know um, that irresponsible uh, reporting of suicide, so mm. for example, uh, very detailed descriptions or very kind of sensational language mm. um, can have the um, ability to impact individuals who are vul already vulnerable um, to suicide. And we know now from recent research um, that nurses are at a group at heightened risk. So it's really important. That's to so see. interesting. I didn't know that. Um, mm. kind of how how it's been done and so we found so we work with Samaritans and they have um, a guideline on how um, the media should report on suicide mm. and we found that overall most uh, articles were seen as acceptable but there were still some very kind of common um, issues so there was lots there's still lots of articles that mentioned the method of suicide including the method in the heading um, mm. some I guess linking to the identity again some use very sensational language and this was particularly I think apparent during Covid so there was lots of kind of um, selfless or he heroic nurse dies by suicide mm. um, and then there was still some stigmatising language um, as well mm. but also kind of what we found again linked to this nurse and identity is that the majority of the articles were really focused on that individual as a nurse and um, so lots of the vast majority of papers um said in the headline that the individual's a nurse um lots of papers said the exact workplace of the nurse showed pictures of the workplace sometimes even naming colleagues so it was very kind of um really very intrusive isn't it yes and the person has done nothing wrong it's not like they're investigating a crime or anything like that it's a really strange thing to do when you mm -hmm. when you think about the fact that you're looking at, at someone's most intensely private and and sad moment 
to, to sort mm -hmm. of turn it into entertainment like that is disturbing, even before you get to the fact that you might actually be impacting other people's well-being. Mm -hmm. it's weird I never really thought about it that way but you're, you're right yeah. yeah and I think one of the key kind of implications from that work is to think about so thinking about postvention as well that if there is um the suicide of a colleague in nursing the way that those individuals are supported if there is media attention so for example if there's a contact at the trust um that kind of handles if the media gets in touch or um there's someone to talk to if someone's upset by what they've read mm. um yeah, so that was the first piece of work. I don't know if you've got any other comments um, about that, Karen. I think you're well, to before Karen did, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. Giving people that warning about media, because I can remember having mm -hmm. colleagues die by suicide and the ward being rung up by yeah. local newspapers taking a chance. So don't say anything. Forward mm -hmm. <laughs> them on. That's good, them on. Yeah, it's a good message if there are students, isn't it, uh, on the call. If that ever happens to you, you just direct them to your co your communications department um, and they should know that anyway. They so do they know, that's the thing, that's what's so annoying mm. about them. Yeah. Sorry, Karen, I interrupted you, I didn't mean to. No, I didn't have anything to add to Sam, so she could move on to the... <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other piece of work, so in our review we found, so there's lots of studies looking at suicide rates and then also lots looking at suicide ideation, but much less research looking at self-harm. Um, and we know that obviously we know that not all self-harm has suicidal intent, but it's a really important risk factor for future suicide attempts and suicide. Um, so we looked at data over an 11 year period um, using the Oxford monitoring system for self-harm. So this is if um, an individual presents to a hospital in Oxford um, after a self-harm episode. Um, the individual and the clinician go through a psychosocial assessment and that data is gathered then into this monitoring system. Um, so we extracted all the data um, where the individual's occupation was listed as a current or former nurse or midwife. Um, and we, over the 11 years, I think there was 107 episodes um, of self-harm by 81 nurses and midwives yeah. um, and really there was lots of um, findings that echoed the, the um, reviews so many nurses um, had used alcohol um, as part of the self-harm act or high levels preceding the self-harm act or in daily life um, and the issues um, so there's a list of problems that the clinician and patient or rate um, of factors which may be contributory to the self-harm episode and again um, common issues were issues with um, partner or relationship, uh, occupational issues, mental health issues um, and alcohol issues as well. Mm. So um, these factors are kind of just as important thinking about self-harm uh, in nurses as suicide um, as well. Yeah, uh, I suppose my addition to, to that is is really from a personal sense because I used to work in the liaison team. You know that this research was done for a number of years, and 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 I've met a number of nurses who who've come in um, following self harm, and um, I suppose you know it's all anecdotal my feedback, but you know people often they wait so long. Um, until you know and there are such desperate situations um, when, when they come in uh, and I remember feeling so relieved that they did come in and yeah. so willing to, to engage and talk and there's so much that we can do for people and some of it's about validation and some of it's about letting people know that there is support and making sure that they get it yeah. so I suppose the message in there it, it, for me is is you know for anyone listening and also to share with colleagues is that do do seek help and do seek support 
Definitely. and there are people there and I know that health health services are stretched and stuff like that but sometimes just being able to talk to somebody about how you're feeling and and have them listen you know like on the nurse lifeline or or Samaritans or, or at work or at your GP um it is worth doing um you're not alone you're absolutely not alone um you know and I just want to make sure that there's some positive messages there that you know um there is there is help and there is support and you know what as well there's an awful lot of um time and energy going into thinking how to better support nurses um you know and Emma Wady is is very much involved in that um and a lot a lot of organizations are so I think things are going to get better um in terms of support for nurses yeah and I think as well you're right it is an uncomfortable and a sad and a difficult subject to talk about but dangerous if we don't really yeah. dangerous not to and not to think about what we can do to help and support each other and how and you, you were saying as well Karen about the importance of of community and and being around and asking each other and sometimes a moment's discomfort is is what all is needed and as well for you Samantha thank you for gathering all that data together so we've got something to understand um I guess we'll just whip around and see if anybody wants to, to leave anything as we as we finish up. And don't forget, we are tweeting out um, information around Hopeline UK, Papyrus, uh, uh, Samaritans and Nurse Lifeline as well, if this is something that you've found a difficult subject and you want to talk to somebody. Um, but also, if you're thinking about somebody, should I go and should I mention something to them? Should I check in on them? Check in on them. Mm. Just check in on them. So, Dave, is there anything you wanted to add? I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on as the conversations happen tonight is in one way how positive it is that this conversation is happening uh, and the amazing work that you've both been doing on this subject and topic area and I kind of think back to 2020 I think it was when the uh, National Confidential Inquiry into Suicide and Safety and Mental Health came out with its report about suicide by female nurses uh, and kind of hoping that that would be a really strong trigger for work to be done and for better support made available for what should be a group of staff that we desperately care about. Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing that kind of reflecting on tonight uh, is the way that work can actually make you seriously unwell and employers have got a really important role in making sure that they can do everything possible to make sure that work is rewarding and not uh, an environment where people are made more unwell. Uh, and I kind of think back to the letters that Dido Harding sent in May 2019 and Perina Issar sent in December 2020 uh, following uh, a situation that happened in, in a trust uh, in one of the London NHS trusts uh, where you know they, they, they found that the, the work, the, the kind of the things that the trust had done actually contributed to a staff member's uh, death by suicide. Uh, and I, I think the other thing, to kind of you know think about in all of this and, and the work that I do day in day out supporting our members uh, is the stuff you know that the NMC have also done in recognizing the role that uh, you know fitness to practice to, can play in in putting extra pressure on uh, nurses and midwives and, and nursing associates uh, and I think you know fair play to the, the NMC they have recognized the role that they have to play in that as well uh, so kind of all those thoughts sort of bubbling through my head tonight as as we've heard some, you know, great kind of conversation with mm. with Sam and Karen. Mm. 
And Sam, is there anything you wanted to add? It's not the law, you don't have to if you don't want to. <laughs> no, just, just to echo again that if there is anyone thinking about accessing help, then definitely access it. Or anyone thinking about asking someone else, um, definitely ask. Right. Karen, anything from you? No, just thank you. And uh, don't forget, nursing can still be a really good career. It's yeah. a brilliant career <laughs> because we tackle the difficult subjects. Yeah. So thank absolutely. you very much, everybody, for your time today. And I hope this has been something which has been interesting and thought provoking. Uh, we'll be back next week talking about uh, CAM services, so children and adolescent services. Um, and have a lovely evening and do something lovely for yourself tonight. So thank you very much. All. Good night. Bye bye.